Good evening, it is 5 p.m. and you're tuned into Kingston Currents here on CFRC 11.9 FM. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie, here to keep you up to date on all things limestone local news. In this episode of Kingston Currents, we'll be covering the recent correspondence between some of the unions at Queen's and the university concerning their campaign to reopen negotiations of agreements made with the university. On June 20th, 2023, Queen's University staff and faculty members, along with supporters, gathered on campus to demand the university reopen negotiations for compensation increases. Unity Council represents various unionized groups at Queen's University, and they are the organizers of this rally. The Unity Council sent out a message leading up to the event entitled The Demanding Fair Compensation for Workers Rally, inviting those interested to participate on behalf of staff and faculty at Queen's. The event took place at Agnes Benedictson Field on Queen's University main campus beside Grant Hall. The announcement of this rally was accompanied by an open letter addressed to Vice Principal Donna Janiak and Interim Provost Terry Shearer. The current standing collective agreements between the university and some of the unions were negotiated before Bill 124, a bill which put a cap on wage increases, was ruled unconstitutional by the Ontario Superior Court. In their open letter, the Unity Council stated, We contribute immensely to the success and smooth functioning of Queen's University, and our efforts deserve to be acknowledged and fairly compensated. On Tuesday, June 20th, the university responded to the open letter from Unity Council via email. The response states, Consistent with previous communications to our unions, there is enormous complexity associated with Bill 124 and our negotiated wages. By way of example, if the Declaration of Constitutional Invalidity is upheld on appeal, there will be a remedy phase where monetary damages may be ordered to the unions. The university also states in their letter, as we were working through these complexities, the university announced that its budget for fiscal year 2023-24 projects a $62.8 million deficit. As noted when the deficit was announced, the impact of the provincial government's 10% tuition cut for Ontario students in 2019 and subsequent tuition freeze has cost the university $179.4 million to date. The university's use of its reserves has helped to mitigate the worst impacts of the tuition cut. However, our ongoing reliance on the university's reserves is not sustainable. The university has introduced a temporary hiring freeze and is actively considering other mitigation measures to address the operating budget challenges. With this as context, the university has advised our unions that it needs to see the impact of the cost containment and revenue generating measures aimed at controlling the $62.8 million deficit before making a final decision on Bill 124 and wages. Once again, that was all contained in the letter sent by Queen's University to the Unity Council this week. I sat down with representatives in the Unity Council to discuss their original open letter, Bill 124, the response from the university, and their rally on Tuesday. Here is what President of the Queen's University Faculty Association, Jordan Morelli, President of United Steelworkers, Kelly Orser, and President of the Canadian Union of Public Employees, Jesse Bambrick, had to say. Just to get us started, would you like to introduce yourselves and maybe talk a bit about Unity Council and what you guys do for Queen's faculty and staff? Uh, so my name is Kelly Orser, and I'm president uh, of the Steelworkers Local 2010 here on campus. We represent uh, around 1,400 support staff and around 150 uh, academic assistants. Uh, and we've been part of Unity Council since, I think, probably January 2013. So quite a while, quite a while. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm Jordan Morelli. I'm with the, the CUFA. And uh, just to, to add, I think that uh, 
I don't remember the origins of Unity Council, but I suspect it had something to do with the university's dismal um, approach to health and safety committees and health and safety committees and uh, the need to make sure that they actually had had them because they didn't for a long time. So I think that's uh, at least the, the current iteration of Unity Council was really invigorated by, by that work, which Fortunately, it was done well in advance of the pandemic because uh, otherwise we'd have been in real big trouble. Hello, I'm Jesse Bambrick. I'm the QP229 president, um, electrician by trade, and we're here to talk about Bill 124. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that introduction. And most recently, what we're here to talk about today is the open letter you sent to Queen's referring to reopening negotiations for wage increases, especially post Bill 124 being ruled unconstitutional. For those unfamiliar, I was wondering if you could give a brief description of Bill 124 and also describe how it constrained the original agreements reached between some of the unions at Queen's and the university. Essentially, Bill 124 uh, legislation came into effect in October, I think, 2019, um, give or take. And what it requires for public sector uh, bargaining units and institutions when they're bargaining is to have a three-year moderation period in which the cost of living or the COLA uh, wage adjustment maxes out at 1%. So it could be up to 1%. Uh, so in 2019, a lot of us uh, did uh, negotiate our contracts ahead of uh, Bill 124. So that's why we're dealing with it now. Uh, so at least for steel workers and the QP locals, uh, last summer uh, when we were in bargaining, our contract had ended. Um, so the new contract had to be negotiated with Bill 124 legislation um, um, uh, regulations. Um, and so that's how we ended up last summer with uh, 1% in each of the next three years. As you request that they reopen negotiations, of course, there are many other details, I'm sure. But is it mostly to have the opportunity to reach agreements without the constraints of this bill? Absolutely. The important thing to realize here is that the, the, the various unions, public sector unions and that were moderated by Bill 124 took it to court and the court declared that Bill 124 was unconstitutional, that it represented a violation of our rights and it was deemed to be null and void. And, and there was never any doubt that it was unconstitutional. Everybody had expected it would be. What wasn't expected was that the Conservatives would screw up so badly with their uh, preemptive use of the notwithstanding clause uh, against the education workers last year that they wouldn't be able to invoke the notwithstanding clause when Bill 124 was ruled unconstitutional. Because every, I think everybody expected it to be found unconstitutional, but everybody also expected Conservatives to invoke the notwithstanding clause, but they just botched it so badly when they were doing Bill 28. And so, so that's a part of the context. But what that means then is, you know, the most of the unions at Queen's, when they negotiated their most recent collective agreement, they did it under the constraints of illegal legislation. And the university, now that the legislation has been deemed unconstitutional, refuses to go back to the table and do the right thing and negotiate fair contracts for compensation uh, with its employee unions that, you know, recognizes that the previous contracts that the unions entered into were with the gun to their head, that they couldn't negotiate properly because the government had had violated our rights as workers. Um, and so, you know, it's really morally reprehensible on the part of the university to continue to take advantage of the, the 
violation of, of its workers' rights. Bill 124 is currently being appealed in court as of Tuesday this week. How is this influencing negotiations right now or the decision to reopen negotiations? Well, there are no, no negotiations. The university is refusing to come to the table. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're taking the position that if Bill 124 is if the decision for it to be unconstitutional is upheld, which everybody anticipates it will be, that then they then the university expects that there will be a uh, an order issued for damages, basically, that there'll be some process that gets invoked. And we've seen that already with, I think, the nurses um, to some extent. But but that's that's a long ways down the road. These legal processes take you know, months and months and months. I, I mean, it's already been seven months since, since Bill 124 was ruled unconstitutional. The university continues to reap the benefits of that, and they're doing it on the backs of its least well-paid workers. What's just wrong? It's just wrong for the university to wait. And, and and if I can jump ahead to the rationale the university's using, I would say it's very deceptive to use their rationale. So the university has, has said publicly basically two things. Uh, the first is that they are they had a foregone revenue of about $180 million since the Ford government cut tuition by 10% and then imposed tuition freezes. And that's true. Um, they, what they don't tell you is that during those that same period, they actually still took in more than they spent $80 million. The other thing that they're they're saying is that, well, the deficit is $62.some million, and that's not sustainable. Well, that's true. It's not sustainable to run a $62 million deficit. But what they're not telling you is that for the past nine years, they took in nearly $600 million more than they spent, okay, building up a, their, their carry forwards, their reserves. So this $62 million deficit is about 10% of what they've stockpiled over the last nine years. They can ride this out. Nobody's asking them to sustain this deficit indefinitely. And 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 even the university itself admits that $25 million out of the 62 is a one-time only thing. So next year, you can already take $25 million off, off of that number. This number of $62 million is predicated on their investment fund only bringing in $5 million. I can almost guarantee you it's going to be closer to 25 or 30 million dollars because interest rates are running at nine. We can put money on the street at nine or ten percent right now. There's there's no no reason to expect that they're only going to make five million dollars on their investment funds. And so the reality is is the university is telling these half truths. It's it's not an outright lie, but they're not telling you the whole story. And they're kicking the can down the road, but they're doing it on the backs of their workers, the lowest paid workers at Queens. People, you know, from Jesse's local in the QP who have been relying on food banks. Same with the, the PSAC uh, 901 folks who had to have a food fund that they couldn't keep up with demand for. Uh, you know, employees of the university using food banks on a regular basis, sometimes sleeping in cars. And Queens is telling these half-truths about unsustainable deficits that aren't what they really are claiming they are, uh, and uh, and about foregone revenues without telling the whole story that they're sitting on $600 million in carry forwards. So it's really deceptive on the part of the university to tell part of the story. You know, like I said, what, what they're saying is true, but it's only half of the truth, and the half they're leaving out is the important half. Mm -hmm. um, and they're doing this on the backs of their least well-paid workers, people who can least afford the, the inflationary pressures that we're under right now. You know, rents have gone up by five, six, eight, ten percent. 
groceries by six, eight, ten percent over the last year. Gas to just show up at work has gone up by ten percent. Mm. So it's it's just crazy. I mean, Jesse can speak to the 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 amount of money he's going to get in a salary increase with one percent compared to some of the costs that he's faced uh, in increases. Maybe even just the the increases the parking fees over the last couple of years mm-hmm. almost certainly washes out his one percent increases. Yeah. Exactly. It's getting so bad that it's actually dissolving the middle class. The lower class definitely got hit the hardest and needed needs the most help and support. Uh, they're definitely having the harder time, like 40% of them using the food bank. Like everyone's trying to support. And if the unions are trying to help people eat, um, we should be stepping up too. I was going to ask about CUFA. From what I understand, they reached a different collective agreement with Queens. I was wondering if you'd like to speak to that and where they sort of come into this in your open letter. Yeah, so CUFA and the university started bargaining last July uh, when our previous collective agreement expired. And it might have even been before then, but it just lasted for so long. Uh, uh, and unnecessarily so. And, and what what I, what I would say is that had the university um, not dragged its feet and actually uh, bargained in a good way, let's say, during those first several months of bargaining, um, they would have had us locked in at 1% increases as well. But they took so long unnecessarily, pushing us nearly to the point of going on strike because yeah. the, the university was so uh, so unwilling to compromise they were bringing forward, you know, concessionary demands at the bargaining table. It was really unreasonable, their position. Um, so they only have themselves to blame for it. Uh, they could have had us locked in at 1% increases as well if they didn't, if they would have came to the table in, in good faith um, right from the get-go um, on a regular basis. But because they didn't, uh, Bill 124 was ruled unconstitutional in November. And so money was back on the table. And mm-hmm. so we were able to negotiate uh, a retroactive increase of three and a half percent in the first year, uh, and then three percent and three percent for the following two years. Now, uh, that that's that's by no means a, a big victory. Okay, that's better than the one percent that Bill One Twenty Four constrained us to. But inflation was running at six, seven, eight percent. So even even the three and a half percent represents a loss in the the real value of our incomes over time. Okay, but imagine one percent. I just want to echo that, Jordan. That 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 actually that actually there is a very good point. That the uh, the like the one percent by the time parking was done and inflation gone done. Um, so we've done a crunch some numbers. We're almost negative ten percent ten percent over the last nine years. So our purchasing power is gone. The lower like uh, lower paid um is like wiped out um but like i said i just wanted to echo that 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 is the big a big point to mark well that's the thing you know the university goes around claiming that it cares about its employees that it values its employees well if that's true then pay them fairly yeah don't don't send them to food banks don't have them sleeping in cars these are the the lowest paid employees at the university are the staff the 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 senior administration did better than one percent i can assure you of that and their incomes are two hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars, four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. Well, even one percent of four hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, if you'd have taken one percent and just froze all of those senior administrators making more than a quarter of a million dollars, you probably would have had enough to pay for the salary increases of all the staff. Absolutely. But, but yeah. There's, right. So the 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 high up, well paid administrators at Queens are are doing better every year and they're more than keeping up with inflation and they're quite aware of the 
inflation because they've commented on it on many uh like open like that whatever meet the vp and stuff like that they they've all sat in on that and they've all commented on how big inflation is and it's like well then wake up help us yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. they're happy to tell half a story that this is the half that you know suits their narrative but they leave out the, the half that matters and that's that they're taking advantage of the violation of its workers' rights um, to continue to exploit them mm -hmm. and to not pay them fairly and, and to put, put its lowest paid employees in the most precarious of situations. It's really and, shameful. And we're also in the situation now we're having a hard time recruiting uh, trades um, mm -hmm. because of the, the separation gap so much in the pay. So now our uh, facilities is going to start pay paying for it, which then affects the students and the professors and the steel workers and everything like that. Um, it's just like a snowball effect that it, it's I just I'm dumbfounded that they can't see it coming like that. It's a very simple fix to fix now and get the motivation and everyone say, hey, it is a community employer. It is somebody that wants us to be a sustainable family moving forward or group. And like I said, practice what they preach. They they talk a big game and then let us rot at the bottom. Well, that separation, Jesse, that you talk about, that's because the university brought in uh Two different tiers of, of, yeah. of salaries, right? So people are getting paid different amounts of money, whether they're new employees or old and older and former employees, longer serving employees. Uh, so for doing the same work, depending on when you started at Queens, you get substantially different salaries. Like, what is that? You know. Yeah, that's that's actually the first thing I thought that uh, remember all the uh, government or like all the other uh, runs that uh, same job, same pay, uh, me too, like equal pay. Like, where does all that go out the window? Like they can hide behind this law, but then they, they don't. Uh, we have to bargain those things in. Yeah. But then it's they use whatever's advantage to them for sure. Yeah, and the, 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 fun, the other piece that I'd like to add, uh, you know, and I don't want to speak for the other unions, but. The, the university if they would just come to the table and enter into negotiations, they might find that they need not spend a whole lot of money. You no. know, just as an example, and I'm not saying that this is what they would do, but for, for, for maybe Kelly's union for the steel workers, maybe the university would offer them all one more pay, week of paid vacation. Well, that would be equivalent roughly to a 2% increase. That's what they're seeking. Yeah. Additional 2%. Yeah. Different ways of doing it. So there's there's ways of being creative. There's ways of taking away the pain uh, financially. I'll just give another example. I mean, prior to the pandemic, the university central administration out of the operating fund budgeted around $9 million for travel and conferences. That's in addition to the, the research-funded travel and conferences. So this is just for central administration. During the pandemic, that fell to under $1 million. So there's an $8 million decision the university they can go back to pre-pandemic spending on travel and conferences out of central administration, yeah. or they can help save the environment and not send people on, on uh, jet liners and, uh, you know, two birds with one stone, mm -hmm. move some of that money over to their employees. So, so mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is, is a budget is an aspirational document. A budget shows the priorities and values of a university or of, a, of an institution, of a corporation. Yeah. And the university is choosing to you know, pay out roughly 10% of its revenues. It pays out $90 million uh, last year in student support, in, in scholarships and bursaries and so on. And that's great. But should we be doing that when we can't pay our our workers mm -hmm. a fair wage? I, I don't know. And I'm not advocating that we cut scholarships and bursaries. But I'll tell you what, 
the university has lots of choices that they can make mm-hmm. that can keep the budget where the deficit where it is and still be able to afford to pay its workers fairly. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to, to bring the staff unions up that were, were moderated under Bill 124 would probably be about $10 million in total. Because the workers are somewhere between six to eight, depending, right? Uh, and then the other locals are a bit smaller, but you're right, Jordan, probably nine, 10 million is all the employer would need. So, so for $10 million on a budget that is $1 billion, mm-hmm. this is this is the, the most bizarre thing about it all. We're talking about the decimal place in the, in the budget. The, the university doesn't even show that number in the budget because it's so far into the, the, the fluctuation noise. $10 million, it's, it's a nothing to the university's budget. It's 1%. I was wondering if you'd like to just give a specific statement to your thoughts on the reply from Queens. They mentioned the deficit. They mentioned waiting for a final verdict on Bill 124. I was wondering if you'd like to just speak specifically to that letter that you received on Tuesday. Well, I would say it's shameful. I mean, yeah, to continue to make the lowest paid employees wait for a, for a fair wage increase when, when inflation is running at 6%, mm-hmm. 8%. You know, like I said, we've said that they're, they're using food banks, they're sleeping in vehicles, and the university is going to wait, what, three more months? And then there could be an appeal further to the Supreme Court of Canada. This could go on for a year yet. Um, and, and all the while, the university claims to care and value its, its people is making its, you know, most vulnerable employees pay for it. Yeah. There's no reason for them to, to do this. They have the money. Um, they're sitting on $600 million in carry-forwards. Surely they can find $10 million to pay their workers' fares. Just it doesn't make sense. The yeah. story doesn't add up. They're, they're telling half-truths, and they're, they're, they're putting the, the burden on the people who can least afford it. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely unfair. It's immoral, and, and it's a, it really it's a, a shame uh, on Queen's. And honestly, if we didn't have the support of the other unions, like we were at our wits end trying to figure this out to get this going. So, like I said, they've united us. Um, we are we are the community of Queens, as far as I'm concerned now. And we are, like I said, we want to thank QFA Steel, everybody that's teaming up. Like this, this is how we change stuff. And uh, Queens is not going to get away with this. They can't do it and promote themselves the way they do. Yeah, and speaking for steel workers, um, we're absolutely disappointed in the uh, the tone of that letter, uh, how hard the employer is digging in. Uh, they're just not even allowing for any wiggle room at all. Uh, and that's now got us frustrated. Um, so we're um, we're at the point where our membership uh, in um, along with uh, other unions on campus and UD Council, but we're ready to fight and to continue to push. Uh, so the rally is not the first. Um, what were you saying the other day, Jesse? Just the start, right? Because we're going to have to fight for this. Speaking of the rally, I was going to ask, how did the day turn out on Tuesday? Really good. We had, uh, we think, between three and 400 uh, uh, Unity Council members, a uh, huge crowd, lots of engagement, um, and they really paid attention, listened, like they are, they're frustrated enough that they're coming out to find out exactly what's going on. And the part, the part also that impressed me it was super hot day, and a lot of our uh, people's breaks and lunch times didn't have the uh, complete like twelve or eleven thirty till one. 
Um, and yet we still had that large turnout. So I think if everyone would have been able to come at the same time, we would have been closer to the five or six, which was double what we were expecting. So it, it was on, honestly tremendous to see everyone pull together. And these are some people like like Jordan was saying that aren't looking for financial, maybe a, maybe a vacation or whatever. Um, but they were still coming because they see what uh, the little guys are, what's happening to the little guys. And it was just, uh, it was really wonderful to see all the unions pull together. If I can just add to that, I mean, uh, turnout was fabulous, but this really is going to just be the start. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the next steps uh, might include uh, take back your time mm -hmm. campaigns, a sort of a work to rule where, where staff do what they're paid to do and no more. I mean, the, the, our staff are, are, are doing heroic efforts to keep this university operating. There's, there's in almost, I think, every unit on campus, um, people are on leaves of different kinds and they're not being replaced. They're not being backfilled. And so the, the staff who are, are still there are doing their job plus the jobs of, of one or two other people uh, at the same time to keep the, the university operating day to day. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, they're, they're getting burnt out. They, it's not, if the university wants to talk about sustainability, it's not the $62 million budget deficit they should be worried about. It's the burning out of their employees and, and not hiring enough of them and not mm -hmm. treating them with respect because mm -hmm. wait till these union union workers have had enough and, and they're, they're at the breaking point. Mm -hmm. right? They're, they're going to start going off on, on stress leaves. They're going to start uh, finding work elsewhere and uh, at, at, a, at places that, that respect them and pay them fairly. Yeah. And Queens will not survive without no. its staff. We cannot function without our staff. Yeah, for steel workers, um, earlier this year, in about a 10-day working day span, we had six steel workers resign. 33 years, I've never seen that. I've never seen that many resignations in a 10-day span. We've had, quite, we've had quite a few as well, Kelly, and mm -hmm. uh, even tradespeople. Uh, tradespeople, I don't know of any that have quit over the last like 30 years or whatever um, since I've been here in the last two. I think I've uh, seven mm -hmm. I've gone. Um, don't call me 100% of that for sure, for sure more than five. Um, and and then, like I said, the custodials, that's happening as well. And it's, it's not the job. It's not the people. Um, they can say that there was a shortage after COVID or whatever and the, all that stuff too. But everyone's exhausted from COVID for going shorthanded when we had to. But yeah. now we to now we need now we need relief once again that was jordan morelli kelly orser and jesse bambrick presidents of some of the unions which make up unity council on the current request for reopening negotiations with the university and the impact of bill 124 that is all things current in kingston for this week thank you for listening to cfrc's local news programming brought to you by the generous support of the community radio fund of canada under the local journalism initiative be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next.